0: Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you. We do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the the, the weather that we're receiving. We thank you for the moisture in the air. Uh, we sure do need it, and we ask that you would uh, send more of it our way this winter. Um, Father, we uh, thank you for the time that we have with each other to continue through the letter of Colossians. We thank you that this letter is just so powerful. Um, it just speaks of Christ and his majesty, and yet we... Uh, as as tiny, insignificant, created beings can have this relationship with you and this intimacy with him uh, through his work on the cross. And so we uh, worship him, we give thanks for him. And Father, we thank you that as you teach us about yourself, um, you have equipped us with your spirit to then live our lives in a way that is uh, pleasing to you. I recognize that today's passage uh, comes uh, with a conflict f- uh, from the world. It very much uh, the, the family unit is under attack by the world. And, and so we, as your followers, who believe that the Word of God is your revelation and that you've created marriage and family um, and your ways about um, living out these things, we recognize that uh, we very much are aliens in this world. And so we pray, Father, that as we come to this passage, we pray that you would uh, really help us to lay down our, our baggage. Lord, I know many of us uh, come from broken homes and, and uh, just we, th- this is the results of sin in our life, and there's, there's wounds. And so we pray, Father, that you would uh, just take our wounds. Lord, help us to hear a word from you. And, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, in our marriages, and our families, uh, for those of us who aren't married, in our, in our future marriages, um, for those of us that are, are not married. And we just pray that you would help those to, um, to understand what your uh, word says, because as followers of Christ, we each play a role in, in strengthening uh, the, the families in our midst. And so we pray, Father, that you would conform our thinking uh, to your thinking and not to that of the world. Uh, And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives And do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And Father, these uh, four verses are direct without a lot of commentary. Uh, Many of these verses have been taken out of context by the world, have been abused, uh, By people over the years. And so, Father, we pray that you would, Lord, help us to understand what they mean in our context. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So, I have a whole lot of like introductory notes. And normally I'm more free spirited in what I have to say. And with this context, understanding the baggage that comes with this, these few verses, I feel that I need to kind of cover a few introductory points. First, uh, today's passage is difficult in that it cuts against our our culture. Um, It cuts potentially against your own views, your own desires, and quite possibly your present reality. Um, I get it. Uh, The Bible's teaching on marriage and family has been under attack for a long time, you see this. All you have to do is read the paper or look at the newspaper, and you see globally um, there are laws that are changing that are ultimately uh, attacking the structure of what God has created. Um, and so my my approach today is not to defend what the Bible says. Nor am I here to like grind an axe on a particular uh, subject. I, I simply want the Bible to speak. Uh, that That really is every week that's that 's really my hopefully my aim every week uh, my upbringing very much mirrors our our uh our society uh, My parents have multiple divorces, and when I say my parents, my dad has three divorces i don 't even know how many girlfriends um, unhealthy cycles all through there. My mom that I refer to is actually my ex-stepmom that has equal amount of divorces and relationships. And then my biological mom has the same. And so I come from a very uh, fractured family. And in, in addition to all of that, my biological mom was physically abusive and I had to testify against her in court at 11 years old. So, so I'm not up here kind of going, hey, this is how it's done. I'm I'm coming here as as an individual who was on that path, who met Christ, and He totally transformed my life. He challenged my thinking and put me on a different path. Um, praise God! Yeah, I mean, I get a emotional. I mean, it's 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 praise the Lord of what He's done. Um, I was humbled and broken by Him, and. Through him, the, the reality is, is, the world's ways don't work. They, they simply don't work. Um, I come to this passage as a man really desiring to know what God has to say about this subject. I remember back in 1997, I'd been a Christian for about a year, and like I had had my like, first Bible. I've, I've blundered on buying my first Bible, I've been going to the Tuesday night Bible study. My parents, who are my ex-stepmom and my dad, were going through, like, a horrific divorce, or they were, like, in the beginning stages of it, so they were still both at the home. And I remember, like, you know, I'm trying to think back to young Gunner, who is, like, 22 years old, new believer, and I bought them a Bible, and I said, I need to sit you guys down. And I sat them down and I brought two Bibles and I plopped them at their thing. And I'm like, I don't have the answer to fix. I, like, I don't know how to fix your thing, but I know that this is the answer. And, and they politely listened to me, but they got divorced and they went on with their lives. And they, they you know, I love them dearly. They're my parents. Like, this isn't like, a, um, you know, I'm now about 20 years into my marriage by the grace of God. And I'm about 16 years into being a parent. You know God have mercy on them um, like i uh like I suspect that I have a lot of years like- I, like I suspect that I have more years to go in marriage and being a dad, and I still like have a ton to learn, and so I do think that this subject matter applies to, to all of us, and my prayer is that we would we would come into this passage as as learners. Humbly seeking what God has for us in our own families, um, very much so coming into this passage, we almost have to have an orientation to 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 what is the family unit according to the Bible. Um, the family unit very much is under attack in our world. Like our baseline as a whole is is extremely fractured. Um, so much of this fracture is, is my motivation that when we finish Colossians, we're going to start Galatians. I mean, Galatians, the other G book, uh, Genesis to sort of look at the foundation and the beginnings and wh- what, did God lay out? Because we have so departed from like, what did God create? What did he intend? What, intend? What, what is the foundation? And there's so much within Genesis that we need to understand, uh, for a framework. I also understand and acknowledge but I I don't have time to address the magnitude of issues that that surface when this this topic comes up it's not necessarily in the text things like divorce remarriage blended families um abuse in the home like I think we'll hit some of these topics but we just don't have to- like this is like a I mean, it could be a month-long seminar meeting every single day talking about these these subjects. And so when we come to today, this is God's plan within the, the, the Christian unit of family. For those who identify as believers in Christ, what does the family unit look like then? Uh, the, the very first point is that God created marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, we read, Then God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then in the next chapter, the fall happens, and sin enters the world, and things have been uh, difficult ever since. Someone this week in my study observed that in the, in the whole of the Bible, there are only four chapters where sin doesn't exist. Chapters 1 and 2. Of Genesis, and then chapters 20 and 21 of Revelation. So we have four chapters where sin doesn't exist. And so things get really sloppy when sinful humans are involved. And so we need humility before God on this subject, and we need a whole lot of grace to experience what God desires in our marriages. Uh, the main point I do think, before I can't stall any longer, is that Jesus like, Jesus cares about our marriages. He cares how we act in our marriages. He cares about us as parents. He cares about us as grandparents and great-grandparents. And he cares about us, the children, who are believers, how we interact within the home. And so he has some input for us. And so we get to the very first verse of 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I'll take a sip of water. <clears throat> so I kind of think, Starting with what does it actually say? So a couple observations. Wives. This verse is to wives. It is not to their husbands. It is not for their husbands to quote or abuse. This is this is. This sentence is to a particular group of individuals. Wives. Those wives who have received Christ as their savior, this has been addressed to you. It says, be subject to your husbands. Um, This can get some blowback. Uh, Some observations. Number first observation, this is not the Greek word to obey that is found a couple verses down when he addresses children. This word subject is not to obey. It actually is a military term that it's hupotasso, which, which is the idea of, of in a military where there's a voluntary system where a person can enter in underneath a structure. Um, it, my existence in the military, like I relate to this, um, if anyone here was drafted in Vietnam, this probably wouldn't apply to you because that's a very different system. You were, you were not given the choice. You were forced into a rank structure. Um, But when I entered the military, it was a a voluntary thing that I said, I want to join the U.S. military, I want to serve in the U.S. military, I agree to the system of the U.S. military, and so I enlisted and I went to a unit to where there was a rank structure. I could go as high up in the rank structure as I wanted, or I could go just a couple rungs up, just like I did, um, because I didn't want to study for the test. And... and, And so I'm in the rank structure. I put myself there. I subjected myself to this. It was a voluntary thing. And so this is the the idea here. Uh, John MacArthur says, be subject to is from hupotasso. It means to subject oneself. It has the concept of putting oneself under, not by compulsion, but willingly. And so for individuals who get married, Both sides sort of agree that we want to join into this union. In our culture and world, it is not forced upon anybody, um, or it's not supposed to be. Jesus actually did this very same thing. If you're doing the Bible reading plan, this word came in today's reading plan, which is like, was kind of, well, when you're a pastor teaching the Bible, they're sometimes like, oh, that's really cool. It's like, I didn't know it would be in today's reading plan, but it was in today's reading plan. And the story in Luke chapter 2 is Jesus goes to Jerusalem with his family, and then Jesus has like a 12 or 13-year-old or whatever he was. He starts teaching all of the scholars in Jerusalem, and then the family starts making their way back home, and they go, where's Jesus at? And so mom and dad go back to the temple. They find Jesus lead, like, teaching all the scholars, and he's like, like what are you doing? Get back with us, we need to go. And he's like, Why didn't you guys think I'd be at my father's house? You know, kinda of like But then it says But then in Luke chapter two, verses fifty one it says, And he went down with them his parents and came to Nazareth, and he continued to be subject to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And so Jesus, the same word, he's God. He like according to Colossians, he created the heavens and earth. He spoke the world into existence. He came to earth subjected himself to his parents. He willingly chose to say, I, as God, am going to be your child. And I'll follow you. I'll obey you. I will listen to the things that you want me to do. I would also expand at this concept of being subjected to, or no, being subjected to, that makes it sound like it's being forced upon you. Um, be subject to, this idea of willingly subjecting yourself to another isn't exclusive to women. In Ephesians, there's a huge passage that's often talked about at weddings, um, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through like 25, I think, leading into that marriage section. In Ephesians five twenty one, we read, and be subject, hupotasso, To one another in the fear of Christ. And so, the whole introductory section of this Christian marriage covenant is that these two individuals are making this commitment before God, wanting to honor Him, wanting to please Him in their lives. And so, we're told that each individual is to be subject to one another out of the fear of Christ. And so from a biblical idea that when we enter into this relationship that both individuals are basically viewing the other as more important than themselves. And I think that, this is, that the main point of this is the Bible is calling um, the wife to come alongside her husband to encourage him to lead as God has called him to do. Uh, so much about this has to do with like responsibility uh, when I look at marriages today in our world, it doesn't look like a team sport. It looks like a competition that the two individuals are trying to compete with one another to like make sure that they're pulling their weight, or they're bringing this, or they're bringing that. And if the other one's not bringing their weight, then this and it's it's like they're in competition versus looking at like no, we are a team. It's us and the world, and we want to honor God. And how do we go about this together? And so I'm so grateful for Anna. She led worship today, but like, like, um, like Anna really believes this. Like, like, right? I almost felt like like leading worship was too much for her today. Then to say, "Hey, Anna, could you teach on this one verse?" I might be a dead man. But like, she believes this, and over the course of 20 years, like, I would not be here as a pastor if I wasn't married to Anna. Like, I wouldn't be in this place because I couldn't be the man I am now without her by my side helping me and pushing me and, and coaching me to be better. There's an amen. Like, a, you guys don't even know, but she, she's like, preach it, brother. <laughs> uh, the next thing I want to point up in this passage. So it's two wives. It's this voluntary command to subject your husband, so to bring yourself under this rank structure, understanding that you're, uh, from a biblical perspective, that the husband bears responsibility before God. I I always, often in weddings when I do the vows and I get to this point, like I don't think it's like the 50-50, like that's the world, 100-100, like the math doesn't add up. The The best I really think as far as responsibility, as I think responsibility-wise, it's like The husband has 51% responsibility, and the woman has 49% responsibility. That that means that when the plane goes down, when there's a pilot and co-pilot, it's the pilot that bears responsibility. Just look at Adam and Eve. She ate the fruit, but he bore the responsibility and the consequence. They both bore consequence. If you're 49% shareholder in a company, you can bring the company down. Okay, I'm off track here. I'm going to start to get you guys all married. Um, okay, the next phrase, to your husbands. So this is the context with, within Christian marriage. This is not in relationship to men and women in general. This doesn't say that all women are subject to any and every man out there. They're like in the Muslim world the men would be in here and the women would be somewhere out there without sound. Like, there's a, there's a distinction in class. Th- this is not saying that women are in subjection to men. It's saying women voluntarily bring yourselves in subjection under your own husband. Um, this has nothing to do about worth or equality or capability. In a previous sermon, I mentioned to you, that my doctor is a female, my dentist is a female, my vet is a female. I even said that if it was an emergency situation and I had to get a root canal or a crown put on, just like amongst you all, I would rather have a woman do it because she's going to read the instructions. And a guy's like, we'll just (laughs) figure it out. Like this has nothing to do with like, capability, worth, like this has to do with a structure that God has implemented. It's about wives choosing to honor God through coming alongside their own husband for the benefit of their family unit and, and honoring God. In verse 23, as is fitting in the Lord. This, this little phrase could be taken a couple different ways. First, God created marriage. We understand structure. And so when we do this, we're honoring him. And I do think, ultimately, that there are practical benefits to to living in this way. But there's also the idea that there's a limitation, that, that, that this idea goes only as far as is fitting to the Lord. One commentary writes this, what does as fitting in the Lord mean? Paul stressed full equality of men and women before the Lord, Galatians 3.28. Remember, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no slave, slave there's no master, all of these things, like we're one in Christ. This verse provides a check and balance for selfish or tyrannical partners. Neither partner should be arrogant or domineering. There is no room for abuse, and this goes both ways. And if you don't think this is true, just go for a ride along with a police officer in Escondido. Like, it won't take long for you to begin to see some of the unhealthy patterns in relationships. I always find it really funny, so long as they leave me out of it on ride alongs when there's like some like horrible situation and I'm like the chaplain and they're like, hey, do you want to talk? I'm like, no, 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 I'm really here for you guys. I'm not really here for this. Like, I'm not, like, you're not going to fix this in five minutes. Like, this isn't like a little pep talk. This is, uh, but, but this isn't to say like there's abuse going on, and God says this, so I'm gonna subject myself to the abuse, this domineering, this error. Like, that's not what this is saying. And like when I look at this verse, like I said, my wife and I, we like believe in this structure. It's it's worked for us, but you all know me and my marriage. Like if like you all know me. Like Anne and I really love each other and respect each other. Our daughter, Grace. She always laughs. She's like, You guys are just bros. And I was like, Grace, can I say that you say mom and me are bros? Because I was like, I think that's like offensive or something. I'm like, She's like, That's not offensive. You guys are total bros. Like, this is like, like, like God wants us to be bros in our relationships. Like, this is like a team effort. And this section applied is not what the world says that it is. The world says, Oh, this is like abusive men telling women what to do. That's not what this is saying. Quite frankly, this is so much weightier and heavier. It's the wife on her part saying, you know what? I'm going to put my husband first, and I'm going to go out of my way to do whatever I can do to help him to be the man that God has created him to be, and I'm going to give of myself, and I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to do whatever. Now, I've spent two pages on women, mainly because I felt like that was where the most pushback was going to be. But the reality is in verse 19, it's far like, like just as heavy. Husbands, now wives, this isn't for you to quote to your husbands. This is addressed to the men who are married, the men who are going to be married, like for all of us. Like this is, if you have an influence on a man who's not married, this is good teaching. If you're raising a young man to be a husband, like this is good teaching. If you have an influence with people, all of this is good for all of us. So this is to husbands, verse 19. It's not to their wives to quote, as I said. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So this, this love your wives in the Greek, there's all kinds of different, there's all kinds of different words for love that are translated love in the English. Bless you. This is agape. And and this is a sacrificial sort of love, a a love that puts the the recipient or the object of the love before the individual that's giving it. It's often about commitment and sacrifice and not feelings. The New American Commentary says, "...the command, therefore, appears to be a distinctly Christian element of the marriage relationship. It was common, of course, for husbands to love their wives sexually." But Paul advocated much more than that. In his description of the husband's love in Ephesians 5.22, he clearly stated that the husband was to love his wife sacrificially. This sort of love is selfless love. It's not about the individual. It's not about the husband. It's about the husband saying, what can I do to my wife? How can I bless and encourage her and help her to be the person that God created her to be? Both of these verses stress that the heart of the spouse is to be for that of the other spouse. It seeks to serve. So the question to husbands is, how are you actively seeking to be a blessing to your wife? Like this is something that we should be actively doing. I didn't ask that question to the wives just because I'm a smart man. Yeah. But we should be asking, like, if you're married, what can I do to make my marriage better? And then it says, do not be embittered against them. This word embittered can be translated, you might read, embittered, harsh, harshly, and bitter. And so the cognate of this word group occurs in Hellenistic Greek, sometimes to refer to exercising authority in some oppressive manner. Paul may be saying that husbands should not exercise their authority in the way that the world does but should express that authority through first considering the needs of their wives. So both of these both of these topics are radical for the era in which they were written. The the wife during this time was a piece of property. She it wasn't a partnership. And so this whole what what God did in the marriage use, union was radically revolutionize it. You have these two partners. They're equal. They're serving one another. They're, they're, they're a team players. They're, they're thinking for the family unit. And the man might take this because the culture was that the man was harsh and brutal and, and really came down on the wife. And so when he says, don't be embittered against them, don't be harsh, be loving, be kind, be like Jesus in your marriage. And then from here we flow to children. Verse 20, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So this is to children. This is not to parents, the grandparents. This is to children. This word is uh, the word that's used for a, a young child in the house, which I will say um, I want to observe that when I read the Bible the Bible assumes that children are amongst us. Like I know we have a Sunday school class, but like we have kids and during the worship service, all kids are always welcome to be in the main service. Like the the teaching of the Bible just assumes that children are here. And so when I look at my children, look at my children, some of them sit in the service. So this is speaking to younger children in the home in the context of a Christian family. And it says, be obedient to your parents in all things. This word obedient is not the same word as hupotasso. This is, a, this is an idea that carries obedience. Um, I like what John MacArthur says. He says, this relationship category cannot be right unless the relationship between the husband and wife is right. And so, like I said, I wasn't a believer when I was a child in my home, nor was I in a Christian home where mom and dad were loving each other and going to church and doing all the Christian stuff. Like this wasn't the environment that I had. And so this is a super foreign concept to me. But if you find yourself as a child that's in a Christian home, you're told that if you want to live your life that's pleasing to be pleasing to the lord it's the best way that you can please god at this stage in your life is is to honor him with obedience to your parents with the assumption that mom and dad really love god and they're seeking to honor and please god in their life and if that component's not there then it does get tricky and so I think a lot of the responsibility that the child has in this section falls on the parents, which is what Paul gets at in verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Now it says fathers. I think this speaks to fathers because from a biblical uh Instruction: the father in the home, the responsibility falls on his shoulders that he ultimately will bear the, the most amount of responsibility. However, I think it's fair in this context, in this setting, that this section speaks to both mom and dad in, in the home. And it says, do not exasperate your children. Exasperate, it could be defined as uh, provoking, embittering, aggravating. And so as parents, we're, as, as parents who are followers of Christ, we are called to, to create an environment of, of, of love, discipline, like coaching. Um, I, okay, I feel like we're due for a funny story. Not in my notes. So one of the times, I was a SEAL instructor, and... Uh, so I look at this, totally a misunderstanding. I felt like terrible. but well, not really. I felt terrible that I got in trouble, and I got caught. But so we, we so there's this, the BUDS compound, which is SEAL training compound, and then there's like a big old sand berm, and then there's the ocean. And so we were doing something, and some kid did something that he needed to do some push-ups, and so I dropped him down. And so he did, he was doing some push-ups. And now the rule, though, is once an instructor drops a student, nobody else can recover the student. Only the instructor that told the student to get into push-up position can recover that student. And so I dropped this kid, and then I went to the other side of the berm, and out of sight, out of mind, right? So I totally forgot about the kid. And... On the other side of the berm, see, on on the far side of the berm by the ocean, nobody could see. But on the other side of the berm, the buildings, is like this big horseshoe, like multi-story building. And the best office with the ocean view is like the commanding officers, Commander Ryan Zinke, who's like now all up in East. And so, you know, Ryan is up there, and he looks down, and he sees a student that's like, been there for a while, like, I don't know how long it had been, but it had been a while. Long enough to where the commanding officer feels like he needs to go down and tell the kid to not get, be in push-up. And, and so so there was a lot of lessons I had to explain to this kid, like, hey, if the commanding officer tells you to recover, you recover. Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't shake your head at him. And so the commanding officer is down there, like, tell the guy, like, get up, get up. And he's like, no. <laughs> he thinks it's a trap. Yeah. And then I see the commanding officer like pop up over the hill. It's like, hey, Ryan, how's it oh, going? And he comes over me and He starts tapping on my chest. And he's like, the UDT seal part? And he's, but he's tapping on the instructor. And he's like, you know you have the other part in your shirt that says instructor? I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm instructing. And he's like, there's a kid on the other side of the berm. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> And he's like, and he won't recover for me. And I'm like, I... So I'm like, till I yell at the kid. As soon as the commanding officer, I went, I had to make him do more push-ups for not recovering for the... (laughs) And it's like... And so, so often, like, we come into parenting, like, you had it hard as a parent, so that hardest five minutes that... Or you had it hard as a child, and so you're going to give your kids the hardest five minutes that you experienced as a child for the whole duration of their childhood because you had it tough, and you're going to totally break them and their spirit, and they are going to lose heart. And so we're told here not to exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Our aim as parents is to lead by example, to be humble when you screw up because you will, to be able to say, I'm sorry I did it wrong. We need a coach... Them to raise them as parents with grace and consistency so that they will not lose heart. As a pastor, some of the saddest things I've seen as a pastor has to do with really old people whose parents are dead and gone. And the old person is getting close to meet their maker. And the anger and bitterness and fury that they have towards their parent or parents based on what they had done to them as child, they're like 90 years old and still furious for how their parents treated them. It is heartbreaking. Like, and as a parent, it should be sobering to you like that you can destroy your child's spirits to the level that your child wants nothing to do with you. And unfortunately, it's so common. And this cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. And so if you're a parent in this room, regardless of how old your children is, like like my encouragement to you is to humble yourself before God and to humble yourself before your child. And if you need to say, sorry, I screwed up, To have the courage to do that and to make amends and say, I'm not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. I know now. If you're currently in the trenches as a parent, when you recognize that you made a mistake, to stop yourself and to go back and say, I really blew that opportunity. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Can we pray with each other? Can we work through this? And if you're an adult, Child, and you still have like anger and bitterment and unresolved stuff. My, my prayer is that you could forgive your parent and that you could move forward. Um, forgiveness and consequence, like, these are two different things. It's something that I had to wrestle through with my biological mom who I had to testify against, like forgiving her and trying to figure out like, well, what is, like, what's the next step? Does that mean that we have a relationship or not? And it really, it meant that we, had a, a ver- we barely had a relationship. I think what we can do as adults, if you've had a rough childhood, if you've had like an unhealthy thing, the best thing that you can do is to focus below you, like the generations below you, and that you can prayerfully, that God would help use you to break an unhealthy cycle that you came out of. So what do we do with this? When I look at this passage, like like just even reading the paper today, like some sort of marriage was sanctioned somewhere and and I recognize that this this these few verses just teaching that marriage is between one man and and one woman, that goes against our culture. It might even be a criminal at some point for me to teach this, or to teach that the Bible teaches this. And so there is an attack on on what the Bible tells us about what family is. And when I look at this, what I see is that the family is calling us to be being a team that's submitted to Christ, walking humbly with him, being gracious with each other because none of us are perfect, none of us have the perfect past. But we each have today and we likely will have tomorrow, I'm, I'm, I'm... Enough, almost optimistic enough to say that we, we might have tomorrow. And so we can affect what we do today, and we can affect what we do tomorrow. I do believe that the Lord can restore and heal relationship. I know that he cares about you, your marriage, and your family. We get all wrapped around politics in large part today. And I want to quote from a politician of old. The irony is is that most conservative Christians talk about the Reagan era like that was like a little slice of heaven. During the Reagan era was the most horrific decade of my life. It was under the Reagan administration that I had to testify against my mom. It was under the Reagan administration that I was getting abused and beaten to a pulp in an apartment building that neighbors didn't even think to call the police. and barbara bush said this <clears throat> that's a peanut not a tear that's <clears throat> your success as a family our success as a society depends on what hap- depends not what happens at the white house but what happens inside your house and i think that's super true doesn't matter who's in the white house god cares about what's going on in your house I want to end by reading this, 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 uh, this passage out of the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, and then I'll just pray. J.B. Phillips says it quite well. May this be a prayer to us. Wives, adapt yourselves to your husbands that your marriage may be a Christian unity. Husbands, be sure to give your wives as much love and sympathy. Don't let bitterness or resentment spoil your marriage. As for you children... Your duty is to obey your parents, for at this age, this is one of the best things you can do to show your love for God. Fathers, don't overcorrect your children, or they will grow up feeling inferior and frustrated. And Father, we do come before you humbly, Lord. We ask that you would, Lord, just lead us in our family units, um, we know what the ideal is. We know what you have created. And unfortunately, so many of our family units have been uh, just wounded through sin. And, and it's hard to know where to, to pick up the pieces. It's, it's hard to know how to, to move forward. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you that you are a God of um, compassion and healing and forgiveness, and restoration. We thank you that uh, even though our our families might have a lot of baggage, we thank you that you can give us new families in Christ. Um, I thank you for this church, my church family, that very much is a family. I thank you for the many relationships and the love and the encouragement that happens to me and to my kids and that there are many grandparents and cousins and just uh, just to see just to see how this works out within the body of Christ it's an encouragement. Father we pray for our marriages that are in our midst. Some might be on the the the, the brink of collapse or just deeply scarred from years of of hurt. And so father we pray that you would help in these situations that seem helpless. We pray, Father, uh, for those that are married. Lord, we pray that you would uh, strengthen each relationship, that you would uh, help every husband here to be more like Christ in his relationship. We pray for each wife here that you would help them to honor Christ in their role as a wife. Uh, we pray for the kids that are in the homes that you would help them to, to live out their faith in a very real way. Father, we pray, um, just for, there's, for everybody here, Lord, that you would help us to deal with our past, to deal with our hurt and our scars and our wounds. And we thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. And we also thank you for the donuts that are coming. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.